In fact, uh, Chris uh, is planning uh, to have uh, uh, one of uh, our fellowship uh, meetings uh, to cover all the details of our trip. Uh, but I just would like to share a little bit about it until uh, he comes. Uh, so uh, I, I will just tell you a secret. Xander, we had a plan to celebrate your birthday in South Sudan. I am sorry you missed that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, because we were sorry that we are not able to join us. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, so, and hopefully next year we will have the same trip at the same time, but you will be able to join us. Uh, uh, I would like you to know that is your prayers for, for us in a connection, in meeting people, in serving people in, in both countries, uh, Egypt and South Sudan, was great. Great. God is just giving us a grace in every eye we met. Even the hotel general manager who is from Syria, his name is Muhammad, and uh, Berno and myself had a very good conversation with him. So next time I can get a special rate for us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so next time Xander and Lois will teach in both seminary and uh, yeah, and uh, uh, we 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 had we had a wonderful time. That is, and the new connections. And uh, uh, in in South Sudan, most of the pastors, most of them are even in the army or in the uh, police. Uh, so in our arrival. Uh, we, we had uh, a wonderful uh, pastor with the, uh, uh, I don't uh, know what it called in English, uh, his degree or his position, he is, has, a, you know, a lot of uh, stars in his uh, general or something like that just waiting us at the airport, take us, uh, take our passport and uh, go, go home. And if he finished everything and bring the passport at the hotel after that. It, it was amazing, amazing for, for that. Even uh, <laughs> in our way to the hotel, everybody, especially some, you know, the old fashioned people from Georgia, I am worrying about my passport. No, don't worry. Just relax. It will, <laughs> it will come. And uh, uh, even visiting other churches, for uh, we we had the chance to to meet with the very high uh, the uh, person in charge for Episcopal Church in in South Sudan, and just you know talk about the school. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Chris has a chance to preach at. Uh, a church in Egypt, Baptist Church in Egypt, and uh, it, it was wonderful company. 
meals, uh, people, a different atmosphere, but God get all the glory. And the good thing is that we have a good church here is just thinking for the, the missions. And the result of that, we have uh, uh, praying that uh, uh, Juba or, or South Sudan plus Nairobi will be a center to reach all the Africa and future by God's grace. And um, thank God that is this Bible is belongs to Pastor Best. And because of that, I have his spirit to share you that. So, and he is going to continue in the teaching he is teaching us. Let us welcome our pastor with us. <laughs> and uh, this is a South Sudanese greeting. So we'll, we're going to talk about a trip, you know, setting up a, a missions trip to get to Egypt and South Sudan. And so some of you, you know, will need to figure out how to go with us and, and uh, be a part of that in time to come. So, yeah, get your passports early. So sorry I'm late. I was given a um, just a charge to the Vietnam church planting team. They are separating out from the rest of the body in order to practice getting what they need as a small group. It's pretty easy, honestly, to come and sit in service and to be moved, you know, spiritually by the praise and worship to have nourishment and cherishment spiritually from the people of God and the spirit of God and the world. It's a little harder to do that when it's just like six people separated out, trying to figure out if you're gonna sell your house and move to Vietnam or whatever. And so anyway, they're, they're in that stage of church planting where they're kind of separating themselves out to, to prepare to go. So I just went and encouraged them a little bit just now as a missions pastor. So anyway, let's, you know, make sure you're in prayer for them. What they're doing just might be the, the hardest thing in the world in terms of, you know, spiritual attack. They're working on it and they're trying to figure it out. Yeah. How to get there. Is it hot in here? Okay. Let's see if we can fix that. It's not cold. We're all going to fall asleep if it stays this hot in here. So, um, so yeah, maybe you can figure that out, Xander, and, and then crack that door back there if we need to, whatever. So, and we'll try to make it reasonable. So, everybody doing okay? So grab your handout, grab your Bibles then. I, I, um, it's a super interesting passage. 
that we're in today. And then we're going to end up, you know, in our small groups talking through some of this stuff. But look at 1 John chapter 5. And um, in 1 John, here's our Bible studies. Um, if, if you're a Bible study leader, can you put your time and address when you meet in the WhatsApp group so that people know uh, when, when we're meeting and where? But uh, by way of review, and I'm not going to spend much time on this because we have a lot to cover and I want to make sure we get small group time. But by way of review, last week we saw your salvation really isn't so much just a ticket to heaven as it is part of us overcoming the world. World is a lies in darkness. There's, there's just wickedness and we get to escape and be delivered from this present evil world. We get to be part of God's kingdom and the love and the light and the hope and the peace and the joy that overcomes the darkness and despair and discouragement and the hate of the world. It's just, I mean, if we think about salvation as a ticket to heaven, we miss out on all the good stuff that we get by following Christ. But anyway, this week, this, you know, this week is complicated. So, you know, I'd say buckle up and, and get ready. We're going to have to pay attention a little bit to get what God has for us. Because first John chapter five, verses six through 12, let's look at it. But it's kind of possible to just end up not having any idea what, what God's talking about here. First John Chapter 5, verse 6, speaking of Christ, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit that bears witness because the spirit is truth. Verse 7, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Verse 8, and there are three that bear witness in the earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And the life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life. And he that hath not the son hath not life. So when we talk about 1 John chapter 5, these first couple verses here, it's talking about the water and the blood. It's not like the, the grammar is hard to understand. But what in the world is John talking about? What does he mean Jesus came by water and Jesus came by blood? And so this, you know, this is what people look like when they try to figure out this thing. If you go and get your Bible app on your phone and you read a commentary on this passage, they'll tell you, oh, this is what the water means and this is what the blood means. And if you stop there after reading one commentary, you'll think, ah, okay. Now I know what this means. But if you read another commentary, what you're going to find out is they tell you something different. And then you'll read another commentary to see which one was right. And they'll give you another option. You're like, oh, no. And you just keep reading. And what you'll find is some of the smartest guys in terms of 
archaeology or biblical scholarship, they, they don't know what this means. They can't agree on what this means. And what they do is they just put forth their ideas or they repeat what Spurgeon said or whatever. But there are six major views, six major theories or opinions about this passage that I've listed out for you on your handout. What does the water and the blood refer to? Okay, first of all, some people will say the water and the blood refer to the sacraments, if they're Catholic or Orthodox, or, or they refer to the ordinances. So, so when, when verse 6 says that Jesus came by water and blood, oh, that's referring to the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, or the ordinance of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And you could probably make a case for that. In Luke chapter 22, verse 9, this is the Passover, the last supper, which we base our ordinance of the Lord's Supper on this. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it unto them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And then the next verse, likewise, also he took the cup saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which was shed for you. So when first John chapter five, verse six is talking about the blood, it's talking about the, what Jesus said and how his blood is the, that. Okay. So that's what some people will tell you. Matthew chapter, so that would be the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. If you don't know about that, that would be discipleship lesson number, what, Aaron? The ordinances, discipleship lesson number three, right, exactly. Okay, so salvation, eternal security, the ordinances, and Seth, S-E-T-H, yeah, yeah, okay. Matthew 28, 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. When you baptize someone, you put them in the water, you dunk them, you immerse them, you bring them back up. So some scholars, some commentaries will tell you that when 1 John chapter 5 talks about the blood and the water, it's talking about the ordinances of the Lord's Supper, that's the blood, the cup, and water, which is baptism. Other people will tell you, number two, that the water and the blood refer to the water and the blood that flowed from Jesus' side when he was stabbed with the spear in John 19, 34. But one of the soldiers, so they were going to break his bones, like, oh, we're not going to break his bones because he's already dead. You guys know what that's talking about? On the, on the cross with the crucifixion, you'd have to hold yourself up on the nail that was going through your feet because otherwise you couldn't inhale. So, so if it was getting late in the day and the soldiers needed to get home for dinner and the people on the cross were still alive, they would just come break their legs because then they wouldn't be able to push themselves up and they would die faster. So they came to break Jesus' legs and they're, they're like, oh, we don't need to break his legs. He's already died. That is actually a fulfillment of prophecy saying that none of his bones shall be broken. But then they went ahead for good measure and, and took a, a spear and stabbed it up into his body and water and blood came out. One of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came out blood and water. So some of the commentaries, they'll tell you that. Well, that's what this is referring to. 
Jesus came by blood and water because out of his side came blood and water. Number three, this is what you'll read. Some people will tell you that the blood and the water in these passages refers to Jesus's incarnation. That means when, when he came and he put on flesh and, and, and took on you know, a human body, his, his incarnation. The water in that case refers to his birth because John 3, 5, and 6, Jesus himself talks about birth by water as being born physically. Okay, here's what he says in, in John 3, 5. This is John 3. This is like, except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. This is Nicodemus at night. This is John 3, 16 passage. This is one of our go-to passages about being born again. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he clarifies this for us. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So we've got spirit, spirit. We've got flesh, the water, the water. So being born of the water, is, and that's what we say even now, when, when a woman's water breaks, the amniotic fluid then comes comes out we say her water broke and the baby's born of water is talking about that physical birth so when jesus came in he was born of water he was born a physical birth and some people will say that the, the number three the theory is that the water is talking about his physical birth and the blood refers to his crucifixion then so jesus came by water and by blood not by water only that that's what that's talking about some others will say that, yes, it refers to Jesus' incarnation, but the water refers to his baptism, not his physical birth as a human, but when he was baptized into the water and then his crucifixion. Others will say the water refers to the giving of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 7. Jesus talks about these waters. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, but he spoke of what? Of the Spirit. So some people will say that, that the, the water is referred to as talking about the, the Holy Spirit that Jesus brought to humanity. Others will say the water refers to Jesus' baptismal ministry. When Jesus came, uh, he and his disciples went, went to Judea and they baptized people. And so, so others will say, okay, that's what this is talking about. So what is this passage actually talking about? What? Well, maybe. Okay, so John chapter 5, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but, but by water and blood. And it's the spirit that beareth witness, because the spirit is truth. There's three that bear record in heaven, and three in verse 8 that bear record on earth. So how do we figure out what the Bible really means? And, we, and, and, and I'll just say we're going to use a couple of principles of Bible study. We're going to look at the context. That's the number one rule of Bible study is what is the context? You can make the Bible say whatever you want, you guys, right? Just by pulling stuff out of context. I can make you sound silly if I take something you say out of context and then present it like you were saying something. Okay, well, we don't want to do that to the Lord. So we're going to look at the context of the passage. The other thing is we can compare scripture to scripture and, and just get God's you know, God's word on, on God's word. So let's look at the context. Are you guys with me? Should we figure out what this says? You guys interested? It's an interesting passage, but it does take a little bit of study. So 
Our, the context of our passage here is obviously the epistle of 1 John. So look with me at 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 4. Speaking of Christ, this is what we read. That which was from the beginning, okay, God is eternal. Jesus Christ was there at the beginning. Which we have heard, okay, so this eternal thing, which was there before the creation, was able to speak in a way that we could hear him, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which our hands have handled of the word of life. Verse 2, for the life was manifested, and we've seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Look at, look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because there are many false prophets gone out into the world, and hereby you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, oh, there's his incarnation, that, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Okay, wait a minute. Speaking of Christ's coming in 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 4, God, eternity entered into time. Light entered into darkness. Life entered into a state of death and brought eternal life and light and love and all this stuff to us. Somehow, God made a way. How did the eternal put on temporal and die? How did the spiritual put on flesh? Well, it was Jesus Christ. God in the flesh made a way. That's what we're talking about. Now, there are some who say Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh. Okay, and we studied this. It's called docetism, a type of Gnosticism, which that doesn't have to mean anything to you. But just know this, that there are some people that would confound and confuse the issue in this way. They'll go to Jesus' baptism when Jesus was baptized of John the Baptist. And they'll take you to that passage and they'll say, look, how Jesus was baptized by John. John was baptizing repentance. Jesus went and said, you know, I need to be baptized. And then when Jesus did that, heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove upon Jesus. This is what they'll tell you. Jesus was just a man. But what happened was, the Holy Spirit that is the heavenly ideal, that is the Christ, which is really just a spiritual ideal, came down and came upon Christ. And at that point, Jesus then became this model for us to follow, this, this wonderful ideal, an icon of all things good, and we're supposed to now be like Christ. But Jesus was just a man, and Christ is just an ideal, and all this we can spiritualize, and it turns into kind of what Sam was talking about this morning, into this Gnostic idea that there's this big difference between 
physical and spiritual, and, and we have to transcend through doing yoga and chanting things and drawing diagrams and, and, and lighting candles and stuff and, and memorizing stuff and doing wink, wink, nod, nod, secret handshake. And then if, if we can, okay, that's, okay. Did Jesus come in the flesh or was, okay, so, so that's what's in view. Go, go back to our passage, 1 John chapter 5. This is he that, what? He came. What is in view in this passage regarding the water and the blood and all this stuff is how Jesus came. It's the same question that was being raised in 1 John chapter 4. It's the same topic of how God became man. And was he really God? And was he really man? And did he really do what he's... Okay, so, so the question is, is how Jesus came. So just looking at the context is very clarifying for us because if we, you know... If we look at this, John 4.24 says that God is a spirit. Okay, they that worship him must worship him in spirit. and in Okay, spirits don't have blood. God is a spirit, but God doesn't have blood that he can shed. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Unless blood is shed, the wages of sin is death. And unless there's the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And so... Sin can't be paid for unless blood is shed, but God is a spirit and God doesn't have any blood. So God would not be able to redeem lost man back unto himself. At least that's what it probably looked like. So, so turn with me to Romans chapter 5 while we're on the topic. Romans chapter 5 talks a lot about... Uh, some spiritual reality, talking about Christ who died for us. And in verse, in verse 12, what we see is that. What we see in verse 12, let me find myself in my notes. Okay, in, in verse 9, start in verse 9. Christ died for us, verse 8, much more than now being justified, how? What's the phrase in verse 9? Yeah, by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Okay, so how does that work? Well, in verse 12, if you just skim down through Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12, what you will see is that through Adam in the garden and his transgression, Sin came upon all of us. We inherited the sinful DNA of a fallen race. And you proved that out. You probably proved it out this morning. I mean, we're all part of, uh, right? So by one man, sin entered the world. And death entered in because of sin. And, and we know that because we've all sinned. However, it's also by one man that through, through the righteousness of Christ, because he was obedient to the Father, life has passed 
upon all men who will believe and put their faith and trust in Christ. So it was because of Adam. You can blame Adam for your sinful nature. Yeah, you can't blame him for your sins. You did that. But you can blame him for that nature. But at the same time, then we can just also say, well, thank you, God, for the second Adam, for Jesus Christ, who through his obedience, his righteousness is now available to all who will say yes to the gift of eternal life through Christ. Praise the Lord. But for that to happen, we have to be justified by his blood. Okay? So that's what it says in verse 9. All right. So the issue at hand here, number three on your handout under, yeah, uh, under that second part, the issue at hand is how Christ came by water and by blood shows his nature as both God and man and this defends against gnosticism which would just make you confused about the whole thing that's what this passage is about that is the context so letter a jesus christ was god if you look at verse seven uh back in in first john verse uh, five verse seven There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. There's your Trinity. Now, the doctrine of the Trinity does not depend solely upon this verse, but wow, it's pretty strong right there. We got the Father, we got the Word, that's, the, that's a title for Jesus before he was the Son of Man. He was the, the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. So this is referring to Jesus as God, as part of the, the triune Godhead. And it, it, this is talking about his divinity. And that's, that's the next blank. First John 5, 7 declares his divinity. Now, this passage is seriously controversial, and it's discounted by most scholars. Did you know that? If you have a Bible that's not a King James Bible, you just might go from 1 John chapter 5, verse 6 to 1 John chapter 5, verse 8. Anybody have that in your Bible this morning? Skipped over 1 John 5, 7? No? A lot of Bibles, they just take that verse right out of the Bible. And if you try to turn to 1 John 5, 7, you won't be able to because you don't have it in your Bible. It's okay. Huh? Yes, yes. We'll talk more about that here in a minute. But 1 John 5, 7 declares God's divinity. 1 John 5, 8 declares his humanity. So there's three that bear witness in heaven. If you were at our Living Well Bible study and you saw the symbolism and imagery that we talked about, you, you understand how the earthly reflects the heavenly. This is the same thing. There are corresponding witnesses on earth. Verse 8, there are three that bear witness in the earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. Jesus, when he came, he was born of a woman. He was born, he came with water. Everybody saw that. Nobody argued that. He also came... And he also had the blood of, wh whose blood did, did Jesus have? His own blood. 
Okay, so here's how that works. That's right. Okay, so he didn't have Joseph's blood. Then Joseph wasn't his father. He also didn't have Mary's blood. Did you know that, that a baby developing in the womb does not share blood with the mother? There's a placenta. The placenta is an interface between the baby and the mom. And so the nutrients pass from the mother's blood through that placenta into the baby's bloodstream, but the blood doesn't mix. Babies and moms have different blood types. You can have an RH reaction, right? If you, you got to do the rogam and all that stuff, so you don't have have the baby's, you know, the, the mom's blood attack the baby's blood type and all. Jesus didn't have Mary's blood. Jesus didn't have Joseph's blood. Jesus had Jesus's blood, but he was the son of his father. Look at Acts chapter 28 with me. I'm sorry, Acts 20. Actually, I might, do I have it up here? No, Acts 20, 28. Look at Acts 20, 28, and tell me whose blood Jesus had. Yeah, who, whose blood? It was Jesus's blood. It was God's blood. They're one and the same because Jesus is God in the flesh. We saw when the spear pierced his side in John chapter 19, that blood and water came out. Jesus was both God. He had the blood of God required to take care of the sins of the world. He also had the nature of humanity born of a woman. Okay, so letter B, think about this. Mankind, we can become the sons of God. You know that from your lesson one memory verse, okay? But in order to do so, we must be born again. We must be born twice. We have to be born physically, but then we need to be born again spiritually. What is witnessed in Christ's humanity in verse eight the three that bear witness, talking about Christ and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. The same thing is witnessed in our life. We are born with one nature. We have a physical nature, but it's a fallen nature, and we prove that out. We must be born again. We must be born of God and take upon us a spiritual nature. Oh, and by the way, when you do that, the Holy Spirit of God now comes in and indwells you and just like Jesus had the witness of the Holy Spirit as he lived, remember the Pharisees were like, all oh, those miracles you're doing, you're doing them by Beelzebub. They accused him. It was obvious he had a supernatural empowerment. They, they just didn't want to recognize it as the Spirit of God. The same thing happens in your life. You have your old nature, you have your new nature, and you're indwelt by the Spirit of God. And that's what's described here in verse uh, 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God made God a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. So the very fact that you believed on God, there was a change in your life. You developed a new nature, and now you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit in and of itself, another kind of a witness that reflects the reality of, of Christ's witness. So let her see. 
also in view, and, and this is a Gnostic thing, right, that, that Christ's completeness as both God and man makes our salvation complete in him. You don't need a transcendent Gnostic ritual. If, if Jesus was God, he was sufficient. If Jesus was a man, he was sufficient. And our salvation and sanctification can just come through believing in Christ. And so Colossians 2, 8 through 10 says, beware. This is part of the reason why 1 John is written so we can have fellowship. Beware, believer, lest any man spoil you through philosophy, through vain deceit, after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality in power. If Christ is just an ideal, I have to mature into, grow into, transcend into some ideal. But if I do, your salvation is complete. It's complete because Jesus was complete and you don't earn it. You don't have to get trapped up in rituals and sacraments and all that stuff. Okay, that's good news. I don't know if you knew that. So your new birth actually testifies of this reality. So if you get tempted or if someone's trying to control you and make you do something, to be right with God, you could, this is your answer. Christ is what was the Godhead, and I am complete in Christ, and I don't have to join your cult. Amen. <laughs> I don't have to draw your diagram. I don't have to wait for the stars to line up. I don't have to do the sacraments. I don't have to go confess my sins to some man. I don't have to pray to a saint. I don't have to do yoga. I don't have to wear woven natural fabrics. I don't have to stop washing my hair. I don't have to just eat vegetarian. My back hair. Uh, yeah, my beard hair. Okay. I don't have to do any of that, John. I don't have to follow the Passover meal. I don't have to meet on Saturday. I don't have to, to, to study in Hebrew and say Yeshua. I don't have to follow any sort of rules because Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. And he came and he did all the work and he said, it is finished. And now my new nature, which is, which was designed after the image of God. Let us make man in our image, in my soul, and my spirit, and my body. I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I am in Christ. Ephesians 3, Christ is in me. Ephesians 1 and 2. Like, I don't have to worry about all that stuff. You know why? Because of who Jesus was. He came by water. He came by blood. He took care of it all. He did what he did. And Okay, so, so that's what this is talking about. But let's look at the pattern. This is on the back of your handout. There is an obvious pattern in Scripture that you can't miss unless you want to. But, but this pattern of water and blood, what about that? It is a little bit weird. And all those different theories put forth by the 
different commentators all seemed to resonate a little bit, right? So what is this like? Well, think about this real quick. The, the pattern is a recurring theme of how God made a way for the physical to become spiritual because the spiritual became physical. So in other words, he became the son of man so that we could become the sons of God. That's what this is all about. I, I would, I would, I, we were singing this morning, what child is this? So I wanna put this, I wanna put something in your heads. Okay, where we've entered into this week, evidently Christmas music season at Midtown. Yay. Okay. I want to put this in your heads. What the Christmas music is all about is what we're talking about today. So, so we, we sang this. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? It's just a baby. Well, wait, hang on. Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. What kind of baby, when he's born, the angels come down and start singing and all the shepherds come and start guarding. What kind of baby is that? He's both, is he a baby or is he a celestial angelic celebratory event? Like, well, it's both. So bring him incense, gold and myrrh. Come peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. Is he a little baby, the son of Mary, or is he Christ the King who's come? Well, of course, the answer is he's both. That's what this is all about. God put on flesh, Jesus became the Son of Man so that men could become the sons of God. There was this transaction. Why lies he in such mean a state where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christians fear for sinners here, the silent word is pleading. Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me and you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh the babe, the son of Mary. Here's what I want to put in your heads. Just in all these Christmas songs, just see if you can't see that theme coming through. That's what it's all about. That's what this is all about. You got mankind going, yeah, maybe I'll have time. And God's just reaching out. God's just reaching out with everything he's got. And then, you know, humanity's like, yeah, maybe I'll take time to, to you know, for the... Mm. God gave everything for us. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so the first miracles of the Old Testament. Anyone know what the first miracle of the Old Testament was? Hmm? That's the New Testament. The first miracle of the New Testament is water into wine. The first miracle of the Old Testament. Well, besides, yeah, God, okay. But... Moses turned water into blood. That's the first, the first man miracle. Water into blood. The first miracle of the New Testament. Jesus turned water into wine. Okay, see a picture there? God's like, hey, this is kind of a big deal. The Holy Ghost and the voice of the Father at Christ's baptism. So Christ was baptized. Heaven did open. The Spirit did descend on him. And so we saw Jesus, the son, 
we heard the voice of the Father and we saw the, the Holy Spirit descending. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, pictured there in the baptism. When Jesus was stabbed, water and blood did come out of his side. And the ordinances are the Lord's Supper, where Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the blood of the New Testament. My blood shed for you. And then baptism is a water testimony of the death of the old and the resurrection of the new. So there is a theme throughout scripture with the blood and the water that we can't ignore. And here's the, the recurring theme all points to the reality of what Jesus did, where God changed natures and became flesh so that we can change natures and become spiritual. That's what the whole picture is. The water becoming wine is a, is a type of the blood. So Regarding, finally, I'm going to finish with this. Regarding the authenticity of 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. Look at your handout. Here's the accusation. These are guys who typically are pretty solid, Bollinger and Schofield and these guys. But listen to what they say. The words, 1 John 5, 7, are not found in any Greek manuscript before the 16th century. They were first seen in the margin of some Latin copies. Thence they have crept into the text. In other words, they're spurious. You can't trust them. They don't belong in the Bible. Just some scholar somewhere scribbled it in there, and then it got. Schofield says, it's generally agreed that 1 John 5, 7 has no real authority and has been inserted. Okay. All right. Well, good luck with that. Here, here's the reality. Okay. 1 John 5, 7 is found in old Syriac manuscripts from AD 150. You guys, that's early. So there's copy after copy after copy of, of Syriac Greek manuscripts that have 1 John 5, 7 in it. The old Latin versions in AD 180 had 1 John 5, 7. Cyprian's writings in AD 250 had it. The other church fathers' early writings, AD 350, had it. It was there in AD 415 at the Council of Carthage. It was there in A.D. 450 with Jerome. It was there in four different Waldensian Bibles from A.D. 600 to 1400. And 1519, it was in two different Greek manuscripts. First John 5.7 has been present ever since A.D. 150 moving forward. That's as early as anything we have. And so it was present throughout church history, which means... It didn't creep in later. What it means is it was taken out at some point by scholars in Alexandria. That's the text that, that Schofield and Bullinger are referring to, are the texts that come out of Alexandria. But if we look at the Syriac family of texts, it was there the whole time. Okay, so, you know, the next time someone tries to tell you you don't have an authoritative Bible, don't believe them. We have all things that pertain to the life and godliness through the precious promises that God's given us in his word, and we can have certainty of the word of truth. And some people just get too smart for their own good, and they lean on their own understanding instead of in all their ways acknowledging him. So, bunch of gobbledygook, right? Yeah. Okay. Any questions on any of that before we break up into our small groups? Are you 
Yes. Yes, Jesus said, "Ye who are thirsty, come and drink. You know, and most of us have to spend a few decades out in the dry and thirsty land to figure out there's nothing there that satisfies until finally we're, God's like, hey, come. Come, you who are hungry and buy food with money that you don't have. Come and drink freely. It's a gift. It's not works. Come and drink freely. And that's, we just need to say yes to that. So any, any questions? We're going to break up into small groups. Okay, let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. God, we thank you for what Christ did. Lord, how, you know, God put on flesh and became a man so that we can become the sons of God. He came by water and by blood and the blood that he shed was actually sufficient to be a sacrifice because it covered, it covers all eternity. It covers every sin of everybody because Christ was God in the flesh. And we thank you that for the justification that we have through that. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, work in our small groups to bring us to, to points of understanding, to points of obedience. And, and Lord, that we would have fellowship with you during this time. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you.